Hi, and welcome to Therapy Matters with your host, David Eli Racinos, LCSW. This podcast and website represents opinions of David Eli Racinos, as well as his guests to the show and website. It should not be taken as medical mental health advice. The contents here are for informational purposes only, and because each person is so unique, please consult with your mental health care professional for your mental health questions. Views and opinions expressed in the podcast and website are of David Eli Racinos. While he makes every effort to ensure the information he is sharing is accurate, David welcomes any comments suggestions, or correction of errors. He encourages listeners to do their own research and provide the resources we utilize in the show notes of each. Privacy is of the utmost importance to David. All people, places, and scenarios mentioned in the podcast have been changed or left out to protect client confidentiality. David would love hearing from his listeners, but encourages you to use discernment and discretion to protect you or your client's confidentiality. He is not responsible and will not be held liable for what his listeners choose to share on his podcast, website, or associated social media accounts. Guests to his show will be solely responsible for what they choose to share, and he encourages them to protect client confidentiality. This podcast and website should not be used in any legal capacity whatsoever, including not limited to establishing standard of care in a legal sense or as a basis for expert witness testimony. No guarantee is given regarding the accuracy of any statements or opinions made on the podcast or website. In no way does listening, reading, emailing, or interacting on social media with our content establish a clinician-client relationship. And now, let's welcome David Eli Racinos, LCSW. Welcome to Therapy Matters with your host, David Racinos, LCSW. So today I wanted to address and discuss the anatomy of the brain and specifically how it affects certain diagnoses like anxiety and PTSD. Mainly I get a lot of anxiety clients But there are some PTSD clients due to being sexually or physically abused. But I'll focus mainly on the anxiety because that's typically what I see. But they both kind of work together. So when I start talking about it, you'll see how their kind of relationship is similar as far as like the symptoms and diagnosis that that um, that I'll talk about. So let me start with the amygdala. So this is also considered the fear center. So it's a subcortical area located deep in the brain. It controls, sorry, it's outside of the conscious control and conscious awareness, but it'll uh, pick up and it's a very powerful area. The main objective of the amygdala is to determine very quickly whether a situation, context, or person presents a threat or danger. It's also been called the smoke alarm by a lot of trauma experts because mainly the job of it is to smell or detect danger. The stronger the threat to be perceived, the higher the activation of the amygdala. The amygdala begins begins to shut down the functioning of the higher thinking areas of the brain needed for rational thought and emotion regulation. 
and it activates the stress pathway. So I, the amygdala also helps the body and brain prepare to action to stay safe. So this is the result of what we hear about flee or fight or freeze, fight or fight, fight or flight response. So the amygdala is also hyperactive in people that suffer from PTSD and from anxiety. So when it becomes really uh, not functioning properly when there's difficulties, the problems are that people are unable to think clearly, stay focused, stay self-aware, and don't use very healthy coping skills. And it leads them to respond in negative ways, which is what you see. So a lot of the symptoms and behaviors that you'll notice. Now I'm going to go into the hippocampus. So the example that I could use here is the hippocampus is a favorite memory. So it'll it'll store memories. It'll actually give you a timestamp. So it'll be able to kind of correlate both. So it'll tell you what time event or an experience happened. But the problem is with people that have um, issues like anxiety or PTSD, it's kind of warped, so it really doesn't have a sense of them because the connection isn't very good, so it can't really recall the experience. And what will happen is it'll make them believe or feel that the experience is happening at the moment. So with PTSD, they'll, they'll reflect back. It'll bring the, the feelings, the emotions of being in like a war situation with anxiety, whatever occurred during that time, the same thing will happen. Well, they'll go into uh, the fight or flight response. So it's more like a fear response, scared, uh, feeling unsafe. So this is mainly what happens. So to go back, the hippocampus is the main structure involved in explicit, declarative, and autobiographical memories. It also... Um, it's an area that stores memories that can consciously be accessed. But like I said, with people that suffer from anxiety or any type of trauma, this area isn't the, the communication with it is kind of warped and not functioning properly. So the hippocampus stores memories like birthday, occasion, holidays, or even in the case of people with dysfunction, it's distressing events. So the main issue with this part is that trauma will cause it to become underactivated and over time it'll even shrink causing memory related difficulties memory stored while under stress can be distorted and the part of the brain is less active than those people that don't have trauma or some type of anxiety so the hippocampus like i said can actually shrink in size and then it'll be under active and it'll lead to a lot of memory difficulties with people with um, you know the diagnosis of PTSD and anxiety so the hippocampus will provide inaccurate information and it'll send the signal to the amygdala which we discussed earlier and it'll go into asking questions or feelings like this is dangerous and the problem is with people that have this communication flaw, it'll actually tell them that the situation is dangerous and then they'll start more um, acting out. So it'll be the behaviors that you see like uh, 
negative thinking, going into, uh, I guess, uh, like a panic mode, or they'll start, um, their body will have some kind of negative response. So let me go into another area. So now we'll go into another area, which is the insula. So this area is called the interception center. And the main process of this area is to give one a sense of balance and awareness of where the body is located. So, for example, you'll have experiences like feeling hungry, warm, jittery. These are all areas in the interoception area. And so what happens with people that suffer with anxiety or PTSD, it's a disconnect. So the body, they'll do the disassociation where they'll feel like out of body and they can't really connect the experience or the thoughts, the memories with the body sensations that they're going through. So basically, the insula will have a strong and unregulated emotional identification. So they cannot feel the body and they're unaware of the physical sensations that are part of what's causing their panic or anxiety. The person may feel that the body isn't connected. Uh, they won't be able to feel internal sensations. And this is part of the ability to being able to regulate yourself. So with these people that experience these symptoms and behaviors, it's, it's difficult for them to actually be able to calm themselves down or to regulate. So like I mentioned, the area of the insula can become underactivated, hyperactivated, or hyperreactive, overly sensitive. So this will cause issues with emotional reactivity and outbursts. When it becomes underactivated, like I mentioned, they'll have disassociation and numbing. And these are more common in PTSD, but like I said, I've noticed this a lot with some of the clients that I treat for anxiety. The next area that I want to focus is the prefrontal cortex, so PFC, and this is considered the thinking center. And it's compromised of several smaller structures, which together are considered part of the thinking brain. So basically, it'll start with the amygdala, and then it'll go into these other sections. And they all kind of communicate, but what happens with people that are suffering from anxiety or PTSD or even depression, there's a disconnect. So basically, the amygdala is sending a signal directly to the hippocampus. So the, the thoughts of fear or flight are being connected to like a memory, but then there's no regulation, like I talked about these other areas. So basically, they see the, the memory or they think of the memory and then they're thinking safe. Is it safe or is it dangerous? So those are the two connections that are going on. So there's no regulation because basically the connectors are, are, are not functioning properly and they're not communicating. So it's just basically two areas that are connected. The next area that I want to focus is the cingulate cortex and this is considered part of the self-regulation center. It's involved in regulation of emotions and thoughts. So like I mentioned, this is part of the whole thing. It's like a process of how we um, go about regulating our emotions when we have a thought or a memory. This is the process, but with uh, when there's a dysfunction or a lack of connection between these, this kind of gets thrown off. 
And so with people with that are going through issues, it's they have difficulties with emotion regulation, thought regulation, good decision making and poor judgment. So some of the treatments that we work on with people that are going through these issues are something called a bottom up technique. And this is used to deactivate the amygdala, the fear center, and to strengthen and regulate the insula. So we're kind of going from the bottom all the way up to the top. So we want to get to the prefrontal cortex, which is the decision making the for them to be an, analyzing and kind of processing and being able to control their emotions. So some of the techniques that we do use are sensory awareness, breathing exercises, uh, meditation, and some movement-based techniques. As I mentioned with the bottom-up techniques, we start with the amygdala. So we want to deactivate this area to help reduce reactivity when trauma triggers. Also, it'll help reduce the stress response, the sympathetic nervous system arousal which will result in decrease in arousal and reactivity symptoms, such as hypervigilance and feeling on guard. Then we'll go to the insula. And since it's dysregulated, it'll cause overactivation. Uh, it'll cause an emotional reactivity and outburst. When it's underactivated, there's a disassociation and numbing. And like I said, these are more common in PTSD, but I also get it with uh, anxiety people. And then the next one is we want to get to the hippocampus, which is a memory center. And activation of the hippocampus will help remind the individual that they are safe and in the present moment, kind of like the timestamp. So it'll help them put it together instead of just jumping to it and not being able to tell when this occurred. And so once we regulate it, it'll help uh, extinct the fear response when trauma triggers. And this will increase competence in the person's individual experiences and being able to manage negative memories and reduce the avoidance symptoms of anxiety and PTSD. And other areas that or other interventions that are commonly used when treating people in this kind of uh, order is we'll work on something called distress thermometer. So basically we have them analyze like what's the worst distress to the relaxation state. And then we rank this on a scale of zero to 100. So worst distress, I guess an example would be like somebody going in front of class to do a speech, which is like a common thing. Uh, speech is one of the, or class presentation, talking in front of a group of people is like one of the major traumas or um, I guess something that alters like a stress response in people. Next approach that we use is identify boiling and freezing points. So a boiling point is kind of like when somebody's overwhelmed, what's like the, the breaking point, I guess, in a way, what causes you the most trauma, the most fear, the most response. And the other is the freezing point. So the freezing point is something where the person is so relaxed that they get to the point where they're feeling guilty, they're thinking that they're way too relaxed. And so they start thinking like, what, I should be doing something, I shouldn't just be relaxing. 
So basically, they're not giving themselves permission to relax and actually feel better about themselves. And to give a further example, this one is the point at which the intense feelings of relaxation become too uncomfortable. So for some people, being too relaxed actually stresses them out. The next thing that we work on is locating distress in the body. So this is more like awareness, sensations of the body. Uh, some would be like a rapid heartbeat, shallow breathing, feelings of butterflies in the stomach. So this will kind of help them reconnect with the body and learn how to feel, monitor, and modify internal experiences. It's sometimes referred to as felt sense. The techniques that are used in this method are will focus on surface sensations. So for example, airflow. So I asked the client, where in the body can you feel air? So like if, do you feel a breeze? Do you feel it in your hands? Do you feel it in your face if they're outside? So it's just more having them reconnect. The next one is pressure. So I'll ask, can you feel pressure on the surface of your body? And you could start them doing from a, a bottom-up approach. So do you feel it in your feet? Then you scan upward. Where other parts in your body do you feel pressure? And you could use, for example, like uh, socks. So are your socks tight? Do you feel it in your ankles? Do you feel tightness in your waist? I don't know. So those are like some examples that you could use if you want to be like specific. And then other sensations. Do you feel any other sensations on the surface of your body? like tingling, itching, any other type of experience. The next one would be temperature. So can you feel the temperature of your body? Sort of the same thing, top, bottom to top up. So we could start with the legs. How are your feet? Do they feel cold, warm? Then scanning up, do you feel anything in your, in your head? And then you just have them compare, like what parts feel cool, what parts feel warm? And then you go into internal sensations. So kind of the same thing, airflow. But this is more focusing on in. When you take a breath, does it feel cool coming in? Does it feel warm? Can you feel in your throat? Same thing as sensations inside the body. Do you feel your stomach rumbling, head pulsating, buzzing, uh, butterflies in the stomach? Same thing with temperature. Do you notice any temperatures in like the stomach area, other areas that might feel warm or cold? And the last one is tension. Can you detect any tension in your muscles, for example, in the neck, back, jaw? And then you could have them focus on, I won't go into too many questions, but sort of the same thing, making them aware. Do I feel pressure in my head? Do I feel tightness around my head? Do I feel hot, cold? Do my feet face? You could be specific. Do I feel tension in my muscles, even around my eyes? Do I feel a, my shoulders stiff or sore? Do I feel chest tightness? And so on. Next thing that I have clients focus on is distress in the mind. So being able to recognize thoughts that indicate stress. This one, I'll give them an example of common thoughts that they may experience. So, for example, I have a client that say, I'm always messing up, I'll never succeed, get this done, I'm so dumb, what was I thinking, I'm never going to be able to handle, fix this. Only with all these techniques, it's just kind of making them be aware, making them reconnect with their body, reconnect with their thoughts, but it's a process, so it takes time. 
But the reason why I wanted to focus on this today was just to have you understand that there's a biological or uh, I guess a connection that isn't just thought related. It's actually a disconnect between like the anatomy. So basically kind of breaking it down. And I try to or I'm trying to get into the point of teaching clients. So I want them to understand the basis or the roots of the causes and then I'll go into techniques. So before I used to actually just work on the intervention, but I'm trying a different approach where I want them to understand, you know, the the basics of why this is happening. And maybe that way they could reconnect, they could connect it or maybe visualize what's going on and then we'll work on the interventions. So hopefully you found this session today helpful. Um, Like I said, in the future, I'll focus more on other things. And if I get feedback or any type of comments or suggestions, I'll focus on other things, but I'll just continue presenting different topics, different things that hopefully you'll find useful. And thank you so much for joining me today.